ವಸುಸುತಾಣೋರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು we were on sixth chapter and the 25th verse that's what we were doing last time so the context is meditation and here sri krishna after having given us the instructions on meditation uh, how to say it how to withdraw the mind how to focus all of that now is giving us some advanced instructions in uh, uh, in meditation the culmination of meditation into samadhi how does that happen so very important verses the 25th verse we were doing it last time shanai shanai ruparamed buddhya dhriti grihitaya atma sangstham manah kritva na kinchitapi chintayet i'll make some more remarks about it and then go ahead go ahead so here um one point he makes is withdraw the mind from its external engagement in stages slowly methodically shanai shanai means slowly um slowly methodically in stages what is this slow methodical in stages he says buddhya by knowledge and this is just uh, this word is like a placeholder it indicates the vedantic training that we have all undergone we have all studied this basically what it means is the mind is continuously flowing outwards that is the fundamental problem uh, in meditation especially in realizing that i am the witness consciousness because the mind is continuously engaged with the world outside the upanishad also says this paranchikhani vyatrinat swayambhu tasmat paran pashyati nantaratman our senses are turned outwards uh, by design and because of that we are engaged with the external world and with that's why we do not realize the the uh, inner self or innermost self upanishad says it said this is the exact language used by the upanishad so we have to make a special effort in meditation to turn inwards um upanishad itself says kaschid kaschid dhira pratyagatmana maikshad ಅವಿತ್ತಕ್ಷುರಮೃತತ್ವಿಚ್ಛಿ but it doesn't mean like this but it means um disengaging with the world and disengaging with the with the senses and finally disengaging with the mind also but this has to be accomplished in stages by doing this uh, what does one at, uh, attain pratyag atmanam aikshat pratyag atma pratyag means inner innermost atma the self uh aikshat means saw realized and why would anybody do that uh, the goal is the purpose is amritatva michan it means desiring immortality desiring to overcome death and, you know basically solve the whole question of life and death um so what are the stages 
because the mind is continuously engaged outside the first thing is to withdraw from the outside world from the external world and then you become aware of the body all the five senses actually uh, reveal the body to you you feel the sense first of all the sense of touch sense of touch means in an inner touch a feeling of existing a sensation of uh, this the whole body and you can um, see the body of course if your tummy is rumbling you can hear uh, uh, hear it also we have an ashram in the himalayas a place called mayavati established by swami vivekananda and it's extraordinary for its silence i think something to do with the acoustics of the valley it's not that it's particularly high it's just about 5000 feet but it's extraordinarily silent it's one of the most silent places i've ever seen in my life one monk who meditates a lot he told me he could hear the his heartbeat and the blood pounding in his veins at times uh, it's so silent uh, once the editor of our, our uh, english uh, journal prabuddha bharat so by tradition he is stationed there that monk is stationed there in mayavati and in winter it becomes very cold and very quiet and you know it's this india so you don't have this kind of heating there if it's uh, 20 degrees outside it's 20 degrees inside the room also fahrenheit um so he said once you're sitting in meditation it's very cold outside and snowy and all and he heard this roar it's continuous roar he couldn't understand why is this roar there so like heavy machinery then finally discovered in the next room in the editor's office the computer was running it's the fan of the computer it's a little little fan whirring sound that sounds like a roar there <laughs> so every sense organ objectifies the body and so we must withdraw our attention from the body um you can withdraw it to the breath or withdraw it to the sensations withdraw further into thoughts uh, the movement of the mind thoughts memories withdraw further by quietening the mind down you can do it with a mantra or just by focusing um, turning inwards to the self so it has to be done in multiple stages this is the meaning of shanai shanari in stages from the gross to the subtle to the causal to the atman and if you'll notice the techniques which we have learned in advaita vedanta they're all like this do you remember drig drishya viveka it starts with the form the form is the scene eyes are the seer you remember and then eyes themselves become the scene and the mind is the seer and then the mind is seen and consciousness is the seer witness consciousness i am that witness witness consciousness so can i see that no you cannot see that you are that and every time the mind flows outside we again bring it back but notice forms eyes mind if at any time you are again distracted by sounds forms something outside again back to the senses from the senses back to the mind then to the witness of the mind notice how stages gross subtle causal actually here it's gross and subtle basically um or the panchakosha viveka there it's even more evident withdraw from the external world sit quietly calmly withdraw from the external world become aware of the body then go a little become withdraw further withdraw means make it more subtle inwards this is anyu antara atma pranamayaha the self is inner to the body in your sensations focus on the breath and anyu antara atma manomayaha 
from the breast goes further down, slowly, slowly, stage by stage, shanay, shanay. Focus on the mind. Mind means thoughts, ideas. What do I have to do now? What are the stages? These are all thoughts. There's the mind. From there, focus even more. It's a very finely tuned gradation. Focus on the, the another function of the mind itself called the intellect, which is the very subtle function of understanding. See, I have understood the instructions. I'm going from the gross to the subtle to the causal. This is the understanding. This faculty of the mind, which is going on, that's also not you. It's a faculty of the mind. It's a, it's a capacity. It's an app. You become aware of that. Go even further, more subtle. What could be there? Subtler than the subtlest. You get put, go to the causal level. Blank, peaceful, quiet. So that's meditation? No, that's the Anandamaya Kosha. The causal sheath. Turn further inwards, beyond the blankness. Transcending the blankness, it's something that you cannot objectify anymore. That becomes the witness consciousness. But that you cannot objectify. You are that. But notice, my point here is, look at the stages we went through. Don't jump straight into Aham Brahmasmi and that's it. We used to have this, um, the senior swamis would scold us. We had to set times for meditation. And many of us have uh, the rosary, the japa mala. So the brahmachari is you know, very active, energetic. And so sitting down in meditation, jump into the seat and sit straight and immediately start. You can hear the clicking sound of the rosary. And uh, uh, so the senior monks would say that, what are you doing? Uh, you know, are you pulling in an anchor from the boat? You know, when you, <laughs> when you, let, you launch a boat, you pull the anchor up. Are you doing that? You sit down and start rolling the rosary. No. Calm down the mind. Withdraw the mind from the external world. Settle down. Breath. Thought. Calmness. Quietness. Then you start. Don't immediately jump into it. Step by step. Shanae shanae. How do you do that? Buddhya. By knowledge. What knowledge? This knowledge. Drigdrishya viveka. Panchakosha viveka. Avastatraya vichara. This is the reason why Vedanta has to be learned before you jump into Vedantic meditation. You can do mindfulness meditation with just one set of instructions. You can even do japa and um, you know, just a little bit of instructions. But Vedantic meditation is much more important to listen to the teachings first. Study the Upanishad, the Gita, or the Drigdrishya Viveka, Parokshanabhuti, Vivek Chodamani. Not all of them. That's too much then. Any one of them will do. It will teach you a methodology of doing this stage by stage withdrawal. So, buddhya, by knowledge. What knowledge? Whatever you have gained so far, that knowledge has to be applied when you sit down and meditate. Um, then, driti grihitaya, the next part, with uh, focused intent. So, driti grihitaya means focused intent, with patience, with focused intent, carefully. Not mindlessly, mindfully. So, there is a focused intent so intent means I am going to do this. This must be burning in the mind. Otherwise, the mind will tend to get scattered and start thinking about different things. So there's a clear intent. I am practicing Vedantic meditation as taught by Krishna. Sixth chapter, Bhagavad Gita. And also Dhriti. Hold on. Don't let the mind slip away. Now here I want to make one um, point here. One of the commentaries, which I generally do not refer to, but 
really a magnificent commentary because I really have not studied it seriously or in depth. That's why I don't refer to. But it's very well known in India. It's called the Gyaneshwari. Um, so um, one problem is it's, uh, uh, I mean, the original, I think, is in Marathi, an old Marathi. Um, so, uh, of course, there's a Hindi version, a Sanskrit version also. And good English versions. But it, it's full of wonderful insights. So here, in this verse, what uh, Santhyaneshwar says is that this stage-by-stage stage withdrawal into the, uh, into the innermost self, into the witness consciousness, you can do in two ways. He says very carefully, <laughs> very interesting. He says, this knowledge-based approach, what I just talked about, stage by stage, withdraw and be the witness consciousness. You are the witness consciousness. He says, he clearly, this is, I'm quoting Ganeshwar centuries ago. If this does not work, he says, if this is not working, then he makes it a, an alternate, a fallback, a default, fall, like a fallback, backup. What is that? Dhriti Grihitaya. So, Dhriti Grihitaya, he says, make a vow. A firm resolve that I shall be centered in the witness consciousness, you know, like a like an unflickering flame of a, of a lamp. I'll be centered in that. I will not allow my mind to be scattered. And then repeat. Use the process of repetition. You can concentrate on on a mantra or something. Focus the mind into a stage of state of steadiness. So the Dhriti Grita is giving an optional backup. Um, if this, the path of knowledge culminating in Vedantic meditation is not working for you, then simply sit and try to focus with a firm resolve. The firm resolve will be at every stage. Stage means physical body. I will not move it. It will sit straight in the posture. It will not move even a little bit. The breath will be regulated. The eyes will be closed or half closed. And I will not engage with sounds, with sensations in the body, itching or coughing or whatever. I will not try to open my eyes and look around. I will not think of what comes next or what went on before. All of these is firm resolve. All of these basically mean stillness. So make an effort to be still by a firm resolve. And then focus uh, by, by repetition. It could be on the witness consciousness. It could be the mantra the Guru has given you. It could be just Om chanting or following the breath. Whatever it is, a practice of repetition and focus. Then what else is said here? Atma samstham manakritva nakrinchidapi chintayet. So Atma samstham manakritva. Establishing the mind in the self. Settling the mind on the self. Which self? Pure consciousness, Satchidan, the witness consciousness. Do not think of anything else. Now, what is this settling the mind on the self? We know what it means. So, so settling myself on the chair, that I make a movement and I come and sit down on the chair, I have settled myself on the chair. Settling myself into the posture for meditation. So I understand what that means. I can also understand when he says, fix your mind on say, a flame of light, or fix your mind on the mantra Om. What does it mean? I will repeat the mantra Om continuously in a stream. 
and not try to think of anything else. That's fixing my mind on something. So any object, fixing my mind on any object means to think of that object and not think of anything else. Fixing my mind on a book, fixing my mind on, on my work, whatever it is. But what is fixing my mind on the Atma? Atma samstham manakritva, having settled the mind, fixed the mind, steadied the mind on the self. Self here means the real self, the witness consciousness. It's not an object. So what is the mind going to think about? What is the mind going to be focused on? What is it going to hold on to? So what happens here is, in Vedantic meditation, you, you withdraw, not the body, not the breath, not the mind, not the intellect, Why? even while using the mind. Remember, um, but I am not the mind. The, my object is not to think about thoughts. I now am that light which reveals the intellect, the mind, the breath, the world, through the senses, it reveals the entire world. That shining, all else is revealed by the light of that consciousness. And remember, this is I'm doing it very deliberately. I know what I'm talking about. I am not uh, just repeating by rote. Just as I know what is meant when the body is meant. Just as I know what is meant when the breath is meant. Just as I know what is meant when the, a thought is meant. Thought is uh, mentioned. As I know what is meant by intellect. As I know what is meant by the blankness beyond intellect. I also understand, thanks to my Vedantic training, that what is meant by awareness in itself. So by that awareness, my mind is noting this. Everything that I'm experiencing is lit up by that awareness. That awareness is not physical. It's not mental. It's not something that intellect does. It's beyond all of that, but it lights all of it up. Noticing this, I'm noticing this, recognizing all this. That awareness does not come and go. Thoughts and feelings and sensations come and go. That awareness experiences time. Time is in that awareness. The awareness is not in time. All space is experienced in that awareness. Awareness is not a point in space. Therefore, awareness must be unlimited in space and unlimited in time, which means it must be immortal. I am that immortal awareness as a fact, which will not die when the body dies does not age with the aging of the body, is not disturbed with the disturbance of the mind. When the flash of annoyance comes in the mind, when the grief comes in the mind, when uh, anxieties come in the mind, they are all revealed by, not by awareness, but by I, by awareness. My anxieties, no anxieties are mine. What, what anxiety does awareness have? It's as the vast blue sky might as well say my clouds, not your clouds. Because of you providing the space, all the you, the sky, in, your, in the sky, birds fly around, clouds uh, float around. Uh, sometimes it's empty and bright, but you, the space, are completely unaffected. Dark thunder clouds, white fluffy clouds, no clouds, morning sunlight, blazing blue sky, um, evening dusk, and deep night blackness the dark sky, you are the same sky, absolutely unaffected. Exactly like that, you are the same consciousness, absolutely unaffected by the disasters which the mind reveals to you happening in the world outside, by the failing uh, you know, health of the body, healthy body, sick body, same awareness. Happy mind, miserable mind, same awareness. 
Understanding Vedanta, not understanding Vedanta, same awareness. Remembering nostalgic good times in the past, sorrow and tragedy in the past, same awareness. If the mind runs ahead, what will happen next? I have to do this, I have to do that. Same awareness is revealing it. Awareness neither runs ahead nor goes back to the past. It's the mind which is doing it. I'm perfectly all right from eternity to eternity. What is all this? This is Atma Sangstam Manakritva. The mind continuously noting, appreciating my nature, my real nature. This is Vedantic meditation. Other name for that is Nididhyasana. Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. Being centered, the absolute clarity of what I am. You see, all these things sound like slogans, rhetoric. No, they are not. If they sound like slogans, rhetoric, positive affirmations, then the Vedantic teaching has not taken hold yet. In Uttarakhand, sadhus say, Vedanta pachta nahi hai. It has not been assimilated, not been digested. Go back to the classes. Listen to the classes and see whether it sounds true or not. If it does not, where does it get, get uh, where are you getting held up? Where is the blockage? Question that, focus on that. It, those are very good doorways to um, a deeper grasp of Vedanta. Wherever it's, don't avoid that. Don't be afraid. Every such question has a very clear answer. And it, it will take you far ahead in uh, your journey to enlightenment if you dissolve, if you look at those, those blocks, those knots, and dissolve them. And then with clarity, you can settle down. But that clarity settling down is necessary. That is the practice Krishna is telling. That is Atma Sangstambana Kritva. Na kinchi Do not think of other things. Body-centered, mind-centered. Whatever things come up, immediately use it to turn back to the uh, witness consciousness. A kind of anxiety comes up. In me, the limitless consciousness, this little vritti movement called anxiety has come up. I note it. It's fine with me. From that perspective of, of Atman or Brahman, none of this really matters. None of this. No event here, no person here, including the person that disappears, this body-mind, none of them ultimately matter to it because it, you, that reality, you are immortal. And between the immortal and the mortal, there can be no relationship. Between the eternal and the ever-changing, there can be no relationship. Between the real and the appearance, there can be no relationship. You, however, enable the mortal, the ever-changing and the uh, appearance. Without you, that cannot happen. But you don't depend on it. You are perfectly fine without the appearance of the universe. It's like a magic show. Magician exists happily without the magic show. But the magic show cannot exist without the magician. You are that magician which shines forth in all these ways. Unfortunately, you tend to get trapped in your own magic. And then it becomes, a dream becomes a nightmare then. <laughs> yes. Atma sangstam manakritva na Another thing, one commentator. So there are multiple commentators. One commentator uh, says, this is the stage of dharana. Dharana, you know, in the Patanjali Yoga, dharana, dhyana, samadhi. So, uh, one commentator, Sridhar Swami, he has written a very simple commentary called Subodhini. Literally means easily understood. 
<laughs> so simple commentary old uh, 600 years ago he wrote this commentary on uh, the bhagavad gita he is famous for his commentary sanskrit commentary on the bhagavatam an extensive commentary on the bhagavatam um so he says that uh, from a yogic perspective slowly withdraw your mind systematically the firm resolve focus on the object of meditation and do not slip away from that this is called dharana what is dharana remember the eight steps or the eight limbs of yoga um, the moral practices yama and niyama the do's and don'ts the moral restraints then the uh, sitting posture asana then pranayama the control of the breath to control down, to calm down the mind then pratyahara withdrawing the mind from external engagement and then dharana focusing so focusing is is what is being meant here that focusing deepens into meditation and meditation deepens into samadhi so he just may say that this is krishna is talking about dharana here then the next verse 26 yato yato nischarati manash chanchalam asthiram tatastato niyam etad atmanyeva vasangnayet wheresoever the restless and unsteady mind wanders from that very object it should be restrained and brought under the control of the self alone not control of the self in the sense control the mind and focus it back on the self that is what is meant here yato yato nischarati wherever wherever the mind flows out why will it flow out you have decided not to let it flow out what will happen is once we focus the next step will be distraction invariably in a, in our stage of meditation unless one is already a profound and deep meditator and a skillful meditator mind will get distracted don't worry about it this is the very nature of the mind so where how i will it get distracted is because of the upsurge of a rajaguna you know tamas rajas and sattva steady mind serene focused light luminous mind that is sattva guna unsteady flickering mind restless mind rajaguna dull sleepy mind bored mind tamaguna so because of the upsurge of rajas it's likely that the mind will flow outwards where in multiple directions uh, the sight to see something it not need not be physically with your eyes just maybe images in your mind sound touch smell taste memories uh, anxieties about the near future or plans or you know thought about what happened just in the past near past or long back in the past dwelling on nice things dwelling on fears all of these this mind is flowing out even though fears anxieties desires are all in the mind but they are it's flowing out away from the atman the witness consciousness because of rajaguna what do you do he says tatastata niyamyetat from those from those um, um objects you withdraw them withdraw the mind how will you withdraw i'll tell you but one more point i have to make manas chanchalam astiram the mind is restless and uh, unsteady now that's the very nature of the mind and that becomes very obvious during meditation otherwise its mind is in its normal when we are using it in our daily uh, affairs in work at home in relaxation uh, mind just chatters on 
and does what we give it to do. But when you want the mind to be calm and withdrawn, then all the it becomes like a monkey hopping around here and there, monkey mind. So Daniel Goleman, you know, the um, psychology and uh, well-known science journalist and writer, uh, he's the one who popularized the term emotional intelligence. So EQ, all that at one time. So that book was very, very popular, Emotional Intelligence. Uh, his recent concern has been focus. He wrote a book called Focus uh, this is, uh, on attention. And he said, I have been told by so many people, parents, teachers, um, managers in company who are hiring youngsters and the youngsters themselves. There's a crisis of attention among the young today. Uh, one big reason, of course, is the digital media. So he wrote this book, Focus. It's worth reading. It's a nice, uh, really nice book. In one chapter there, he, um, he says that uh, the well-known stages of, of in, in meditation, what happens that you try to focus, stage one, mind gets distracted, stage two, mind wanders around, stage three. Then you recognize that the mind is wandering around and bring it back. So that's stage four and stage five recognizing recognition that the mind has strayed away that's a distinct stage and then fifth stages you bring it back and make an effort to focus back on what you are focusing on so these five stages now the interesting thing in the book he says uh, modern neuroscience when they uh, track fmri scans of the brains of meditators and neuronal activity there says these are real stages corresponding to um, distinct activities in the brain that's the thing I didn't know. And it, it's reasonable to think that, but he says they have now isolated a certain groups of neurons which become active when you're focusing. That which Ganeshwar said, make a deliberate attempt, a vow to focus and intent to focus. Dhriti Grihitaya, in an earlier verse he said. When you do that, there's actually a, a set of neurons which become act active, which shows that you're making a conscious, deliberate attempt to focus distraction when it happens for whatever reason as he says yato, yato, yato whatever reason multiple reasons the mind gets distracted that that very fact of distraction there's a set separate set of neurons which gets activated so it's so interesting to note whatever is mentioned in these ancient texts it corresponds to actual neuronal activity distinct groups of neurons being activated then the mind wandering without um, awareness without without deliberation jumping from one thing to another thing to another thing the way the mind normally wanders when we are not conscious about it when we are not attending to it normal way the mind wanders so another third set of neurons becomes active there plus every other area which is activated by the mind wandering then the recognition oh i am not focusing on the atman or uh, on om namah shivaya or on the breath whatever your tradition of meditation a distinct moment comes when you suddenly you are startled into self-awareness. This is what's going on in the mind, like a fraction of a second. Another set of neurons come, kicks into effect, in, into action. And then finally, the effort to bring it back again to focus, again that, that set of neurons which is controlling focus, that kicks into action. You are actually doing things in your brain. You're pressing buttons in your brain when you follow these stages. These stages are not just like moral advice, these are good things to do. No, there's good neuroscience to back them up now. So that I found that very interesting. 
the neuroscience of mind wandering of of inattention now how do you bring it back he says the next stage is to bring it back the mind will wander uh, guaranteed don't don't wait for the mind to wander don't when you're having meditation it's it's going too well when will the mind start wandering mind do your thing don't do that if it's going well it's going well but if it does not doesn't matter the moment you recognize it bring it back to the object of meditation there are different ways of doing it um one way is the yogic way suppose i'm thinking of shiva i'm i'm supposed to visualize shiva lotus of the heart the deity shiva and the mantra om namah shivaya should be chanted and the mind wanders away elsewhere then i remember then what i do i drop that object whatever i'm thinking of whatever the mind has gone to whatever it is i drop it i substitute the deity shiva the visualization the lotus and the mantra so that's the yogic way you substitute stop pull back the mind there and from there and bring it back to the deity the mantra or it could just be the breath it could just be so mindfulness meditation they tell you to do that bring it back to the breath don't uh, berate yourself don't say you know get exhausted or uh, unhappy about it just calmly it's just a uh, heads up for you that back to the breath or back to whatever you're meditating so that's the yogic way um also works for buddhist mindfulness but here in vedanta if you remember there's a there's an entirely different thing that we do and that is use the object of distraction to come back you find this in advaita vedanta you find this in tibetan buddhism also in dzogchen what they do is use the object of of meditation uh, use the object of distraction so i'm supposed to be um, you know enjoying the glory of the self and the limitless awareness and and then maybe there is a mosquito or there is a police siren and then i imagine a police car and or is it uh, an uh, ambulance is covid increasing these are the thoughts which are coming suddenly i become aware i've drifted away from that now what i do is that image of in my mind of a police car racing through the streets of uh, you know upper west in manhattan the sound the sound of the siren i use that in me the awareness is revealed this sound and it's a fact the siren is sounding the sound is the space of awareness limited uh, unlimited space of awareness in which there is a movement in the form of sound of siren the visualization of the police car i am awareness in me this is and back to the awareness so whatever distraction distraction that can be used as a powerful method because the distraction is happening because of the very awareness which you are very awareness which i am that enables the distraction to happen use the distraction uh, the dzogchen practices you dissolve it so if it's a physical sensation dissolve it into the the mental thought behind it from there into the causal uh, and into the, from there into consciousness itself they call it freeing it it's a not in which you have been caught up in something external not in the radiance of your own awareness or you the awareness dissolve it that whatever is external is just shining in the space which is your awareness so you can dissolve it so this is called pulling back now do you see the difference between the two approaches one is um, stop don't think of that 
think of this. Other one is, have it your way. Think of it, but notice what are you, what's going on there. Just notice that it's whatever you think of or blank. Don't think of anything. It's all surcharged with, irradiated with, with you, the consciousness blazing forth there. It's always you, the consciousness are always available in the midst of the worst distraction and settle back there. And then again, Atma Samstam Manakritva, notice, I am awareness, I am limitless. All that appears, appears in me, shines in me. Every sensation, every thought, every idea, and the absence of sensations, thoughts, ideas. So back to the witness consciousness. There are other ways also. The bhakti traditions don't have these problems too much. If you have a deep love for something, see, emotions are usually much more powerful and they catch attention much more easily. So it's much easier, much sweeter, much more of a, a, of a happy thing to make your thoughts flow to something that you love. So my beloved Krishna or, uh, or Shiva or the Divine Mother, Sri Ramakrishna, you know, I'm the child and she is the mother. It's much easier that way. So it uses the power of, of emotion, of love to hook awareness. Yogic method is a little more dry. It makes effort. You have to take effort and uh, a little drive method, uh, you know, con continuously making the effort to substitute the one thought for everything else. And the Advaitic method is to recognize whatever thought, whatever distraction is entirely enabled, illumined and revealed uh, in uh, you, the awareness. You're always available there. Okay. Then... Bring the mind under control or uh, we can say, again establish the mind in the witness consciousness. Prashanta manasam yenam yoginam sukham uttamam upaiti shanta rajasam brahma bhutam makalmasam To this yogi whose activity rajas has, been, has subsided who is of a tranquil mind, sinless, and identified with Brahman, comes supreme bliss. So if you do this and settle your mind uh, on the self, all right, one more point. That, that commentator I mentioned, Sridhar Swami, on the 26th verse, which we just did, he says, uh, he makes a very simple observation. This is actually pratyahara. Pratyahara, withdrawing the mind from engagement, from, from distraction. Wherever, wherever the mind is distracted, pull the mind from there and put it on the, um, the object of your meditation. This is the classic definition of Pratyahara. Pratyahara, the, um, uh, the fifth stage in uh, the eight or the fifth limb of the eight limbs of yoga. After Pratyahara comes Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. So the point I was making is in the 25th verse, Sridhar Swami says, it's basically... Um, Dharana. And the 26th verse, he says, basically Pratyahara. If you get distracted, withdraw again and back to the object of focus. Now, 27th verse. If you keep doing this, meditation will become deeper. So you will enjoy the bliss of meditation, the peace of meditation, the quietness, the serenity of meditation. Prashanta Manasam. 
the mind becomes. Uh, shanta means peaceful. Prashanta means um, uh, profoundly peaceful. Very deep. Very, very, it's completely awake. You haven't fallen asleep. It's completely awake, luminous, and steady. So that's a wonderful state of mind. It's um, Mihai Chikzen Mihai in his book, Flow, as uh, you know, he spent his whole career studying attention. And he says these moments of intense engagement with some worthwhile pursuit that leads to the best experiences of our life, and he calls them flow experiences. They're somewhat connected to you know, Maslow's idea of a peak experience, but uh, flow experiences. I can imagine if the flow experience is also um, sattvic, because sometimes when the mind is rajasic also, you can have a flow experience. So the mind is sattvic, a little pure, little sublime, little elevated, and you have the flow experience. That's what he's saying, prashanta manasam. And Mihai Chikzen Mihai in this book, he has, uh, he has uh, observed that these are very healthy periods or, or experiences of our life. They integrate the personality much better. You know, they are, they are these flow experiences are the experiences which are the best moments of our lives, the most precious moments of our lives. And among them, the best ones are when you focus on, on God or the chosen ideal or on, on the witness consciousness. There is not only concentration, focus, not only calmness, but an entirely different quality of holiness, sacredness, profoundness, which is something more than just be calm and concentrated. So reading a book which you love, you'll be calm and you'll be concentrated. That sense of the sacred is something higher, much higher, much deeper than that. All that is captured by the words prashanta. Not just calm and focused, but calm, focused, serene, holy, sacred. Prashanta manasam. You get, the yogi gets sukhamuttamam, the highest bliss or the highest happiness. Now, this highest happiness is of Again, two things, two senses in which we can interpret. One is the highest happiness of meditation. The joy of meditation is such, it's much higher than the joy of engagement with the world. And true, proper meditation is very nourishing, very deep and very, um, you would not want to really come out of that. Only thing it's difficult to achieve and hold on. That's why so few people uh, know about it. That's why our teachers would always tell us, the masters, that keep on trying. At first, it's hard work, uh, but afterwards, when you get into the flow, it's very sweet, it's very nourishing, it's uh, immensely attractive. So the flow of meditation culminates in dhyana, and it may culminate in samadhi also, the, high, the eighth limb. And that gives great joy, tremendous joy. Nothing in this world, nothing in this world can match that joy. So, um, so that's one kind. That's one meaning of Sukhamuttamam. But again, note, it is still a joy which comes and goes. You don't have it when you're not in meditation. In the best moments of meditation, you have it for a short while. Again, you, when you come out of it or your mind gets distracted, the joy is gone. It will leave its trace. You will feel, you will remember it. It's wonderful, but it's gone. So number one, it comes and goes. Number two, it is subject to more or less. The best moments of meditation, we have much more of this joy. In samadhi, even more of this joy. 
um, so it's subject to increase and decrease more and less gradation and it's subject to a particular state of mind it depends on the meditative state of the mind without the meditative state of the mind it will not come so what am i trying to say anything which has these characteristics is ultimately not god or not the not the atman not the ultimate which has the characteristics of coming and going one which has the characteristics of increasing and decreasing which has the characteristic of being dependent on some activity some elevated you know effort spiritual effort uh, then they are all wonderful very uh, nourishing very uh, healthy in a, in a psychological and spiritual sense also but not the ultimate truth the ultimate truth is you the witness consciousness atman or brahman which is the second meaning of sukham uttamam the highest bliss is the self itself so is it another kind of bliss this must must be understood carefully it's not another kind of bliss it is that which is experienced as every kind of bliss it is the reservoir unlimited infinite reservoir from which comes every kind of bliss the crude distorted uh, pleasures of the world to the refined pleasures of art and science and uh, and um, creativity to the more um, you know rare joy of of spiritual life of being selfless of having deep devotion to god the love of god of absolute quietness of mind of um, so all of these these give rise to the highest uh, the, the highest pleasure but higher than that is this with this infinite source which is the source of all of these these joys it is like my face being reflected in mirrors so a very crude mirror you'll have a distorted reflection you have a finer mirror you have a much better reflection but depending on whatever mirror is the reflection will change but you know the original is you it is which is the face here which you is not reflected which you are not seeing that's which which is being reflected which you are seeing as reflections in the mirror those reflections are the joys but the source of all the joy is you that realization is the highest joy swami vivekananda says knowledge truth and bliss that follows both knowledge i am brahman reveals to you that i am this infinite existence consciousness bliss and that is followed by fulfillment an unchanging fulfillment so what about the earlier joys the joy of a cookie joy of music the joy of reading a book and the joy of deep meditation and prayer all of those are easily available to you don't worry those are available but you are not dependent on any one of them if they are there very good if they are not there fine if the mirror is reflecting my face very good if the mirror is not there i know nothing is lost i am that face this this fullness this completion this purnatva this 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 wholeness this is the highest bliss sukhamuttam so two in, two interpretations those who know sri ramakrishna's terminology of uh, um, vishayananda bhajanananda brahmananda vishayananda the ananda from vishaya vishaya means objects of the senses actual sensory perception gives you some object like you listen to music taste good food and thoughts about all of that about the pleasures of the senses about the world that some kinds of thoughts give you happiness that's all that is vishayananda worldly worldly pleasure 
then the higher joy is bhajanananda the joy of meditation the joy of prayer the joy of selfless service joy of surrender and dedication and adoration of god far higher far superior but he vedanta goes even further so vedanta says even this depends on effort this depends on a state of the mind this is also a reflection it's not the ultimate truth it comes and goes it increases and decreases so the ultimate truth is beyond that and sri ramakrishna calls it brahmananda it is the complete final fulfillment never subject to any coming and going no subject to increase and decrease what increase and decrease can there be in infinity and it's not dependent on any state of the mind not even on knowledge once knowledge has come no longer dependent on the mind to generate that knowledge anymore then what happens upeeti shanta rajasam brahma bhutam akalmasham one brahma bhutam being brahman what is being brahman realizing that i am brahman so the different commentators all of them shankaracharya shridhar swami they all say this refers to jivan mukti the goal of vedanta liberated while living in this body itself you're living here in this world as earlier people just see you as this person maybe a much holier person now but as this person and yet you are you know you are brahman you're not just this person um you are that impersonal absolute now um so this liberated while living i'll make a a little comment here an addendum so this is the subject of a lot of um, enquiry among vedantic monks but this is the goal what does it consist of broadly this liberated while living this is the final goal um highest goal this has three components is an analysis where where am i taking all this from the different books but the one i'm taking it from is jivan mukti viveka of sri vidyaranya so in jivan mukti viveka he says that this is this is enlightenment full blown enlightenment liberated while living has three components one he calls tattva gyana which is basically what i am calling enlightenment literally it means tattva means reality gyana knowledge knowledge of the ultimate reality realization of the ultimate reality or in one word enlightenment that's one component component of what liberated while living the second component is manonasha manonasha literally means you have to treat it carefully it literally means destruction of the mind but doesn't mean becoming brainless or brain dead or in comatose it just means uh, that you are capable your meditation is of such an order you're capable of attaining deep meditation samadhi the mind has come under control to that extent then the third one third component of liberated while living is um the vasanakshaya the complete purification of the mind vasanakshaya means the destruction of desires or literally the destruction of the desire traces the tendencies in the mind uh, the purification of the mind so three things are necessary for liberated while living jivan mukti one is of course enlightenment but interestingly enlightenment itself does not mean you are you are you are perfect perfection still requires meditation to the control of the mind to the level of samadhi and then um, it also requires purification of the mind you know like literally at the mental level you are already a saint all these three together 
then you are liberated by living. Now, a question may arise. Is it possible to be enlightened without the other things happening? It is possible. And we know this from uh, experience, from, we, from seeing people, uh, seekers in the world. People can get profound breakthroughs, lasting breakthroughs. And in a certain sense, they are already enlightened. And Vidyaranya Swami says, yes, they know. They already know that they are Brahman. And this is breakthrough, not about some mystical vision, some kind of uh, lower. I can say that openly. From an Advaitic perspective, everything else is lower. Some vision of a god, goddess, some kind of light. Or not, not, none of those things. I mean, this is far higher. This person already realizes without any doubt, I am Brahman. Not only Brahman is real, I am that. It's absolutely clear to that person. Yet, there may still be some shortfall in the control of the mind, some shortfall in the purification of the mind. Then what will be the result of that? The result will be, what is the gain if you get enlightenment and you some shortfall in other areas, other components? The result will be twofold. First of all, you are not perfect. You are not really attained full-blown enlightenment. The second result will be, then what's the good of it? The good is, at the point of death, you are liberated forever. Samsara is an end for you. This is the end of, of the play of samsara for you. The poetry is very beautiful. I mean, it's so stirring. It describes what happens at liberation, but at, at enlightenment. He says, it's like the storm is over. The last storm clouds are moving away from the sky. There's a brilliant rainbow in the sky. And he's, it literally... Akashe Ram Dhanur Mela, festival of rainbows in the skies above you. What is this festival of rainbows? It shows you the storm of samsara is over. Not only in this life, many lives, countless lives have you passed. The Buddha says, life after life I've been whirled around in samsara. Maya, I have recognized thy, you know, thy, thy, um, I recognize thee. No more will you spin webs of deceit for me. Your house of illusion is shattered. I am awakened. I am the Buddha. I'm paraphrasing. Edwin Arnold put it much more beautifully. Um, so that enlightenment is like that. You have this festival of rainbows. I'm, I lit, don't take it literally. That, oh, I haven't seen the rainbow, so I'm not <laughs> enlightened. Or I saw a rainbow, then I must be enlightened. No, it just means, rainbow means, what does the rainbow signify? End of the rains, basically. Uh, so the storm is over. There is a Zen poem about it, one of the haikus in, in Japanese Zen. It says, um, the last cloud, or the, the, the storm is over, the last clouds disappear. We sit, the old mountain and I, until only the mountain remains. Beautiful. Imagine this hermit who has been meditating all his life and makes the breakthrough. And so the samsara has drained away from the sky. There's no more storm clouds anywhere. And he's sitting, he and his old mountain where he has been sitting for years maybe. And he says, until only the mountain remains. And that is enlightenment. The little self has gone forever. And yet Vedanta goes further. That's not enough. You have you have, you have gone away from samsara, but now you must come back. As long as the body exists, the world will have still appear to you. Now, what will happen is, 
if one does not have the full-blown liberation while living, full-blown enlightenment, perfection, samsara will affect you. The karma, the past karma, prarabdha karma will keep on giving results, pleasure and pain. Um, old age will come of the, for the body, disease will come, people will be nasty to you, the good things will come, terror will come, temptation will come, so many things will come in your life and much more in your life than others. Samsara sort of speeds up, trying to exhaust all the karma because they know this guy is gone forever. You're not going to catch him anymore. Um, so you have all those experiences and you can still suffer. You can still suffer. You can still have problems with samsara um, until death comes and you're released forever. So to prevent that, I mean, to all of this, one sadhu put it beautifully, one monk put it beautifully. What happens if you have not perfected the other components, the two other components, vasanakshaya manonasha, the meditation and purification of the mind. If you have not perfected them, the monk said, jivan mukti ke vilakshan suk se vanchit rah jayega wo. The, you will miss, you will be deprived of, you will lose the extraordinary delight of jivan mukti the freedom and joy of being still alive in this body. It's like being in a lucid dream. The dream is still continuing, but you're perfectly aware that it's a dream. Um, so that joy, that tremendous freedom, that will, uh, you will miss that. And uh, you will also not be a very effective teacher or guide for others if you're not a Jivan Mukta. So all these, these problems remain. So, what is the upshot? The upshot is what Krishna is telling you and what the, that Jivan Mukti book tells us. If you think you have got the breakthrough, if you feel like that, then don't go immediately on the lecture circuit. You know, uh, book launch, lecture circuit, TED talk. TED talk. What you do is uh, you plunge deeper into sadhana. Intensify your spiritual practices. What practices? Exactly what you have been doing till now. Purification of the mind, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, uh, uh, Raja Yoga, Dhyana Yoga, all of those, purify those, uh, you, you intensify those. It will uh, complete the purification of the mind and uh, interiorization, control of the mind in Samadhi. Those things will come. Then you are a Jivan Mukta. You are free forever. You are free anyway. At the end of this life, you are free. All of this, you know, the Holy Mother, Masharada Devi put all of this in, in her very simple words. Somebody, she initiated somebody. And this person, said, Mother, if I don't do the mantra, then, then what? If I don't repeat it. And the mother said, my child, since I have initiated you, you, have, you need not have any fear. At the point of death, Thakur will come, Sri Ramakrishna, she says, she would be very self-effacing. It's the same thing, she and Sri Ramakrishna. Thakur will come and take you. So you are safe that way. Then she says, but if you want joy in this life, the spiritual joy, then you must do spiritual practices. You have to repeat the mantra. Which is basically summing up all the complicated analysis I was giving you. If you want the benefit here and now, what was promised? What was promised? Atyantika dukkha nivritti, complete transcendence of sorrow. Paramananda prapti, attainment of the ultimate satisfaction, fulfillment. Here and now. In that case, liberated by living is the goal. Uh, and in that case, the whole course has to be completed. Yeah. Antibiotics, 
you must finish the course if you stop halfway it may, you may be safe but it's it's there's some damage done all right so you are safe but you need the third booster dose so that completes the whole course of vaccinations um let's quickly look at the oh why did i say all this because the uh, shloka says shanta rajasam brahma bhutam akalmasham brahma bhutam according to all the commentators brahma bhutam literally it means being brahman literally it means being liberated while living jivan mukti now remember all of this was meditation so we are we are assuming you have got this control of the mind and you are able to focus deeply so manonasha that component is also checked you have completed your vedantic training we understand that you have got complete clarity that you are brahman so the tattva jnana the realization of the reality is also checked the final thing is this um, shanta rajasam akalmasham with the rajas uh, pacified akalmasha how do you pacify the restlessness of the mind akalmasha purification of the mind the worldly desires lust and possession of, of property and Uh, name and fame and all of that uh, the let's put it this way the desire to be an extraordinary person uh, even that's a huge barrier that you will realize only we realize only as we uh, proceed into a higher levels of spiritual life trying to be an extraordinary person is a very good advice given to young people given to people who are making their way in life who want to achieve great things in life yes try to be great try to be extraordinary and there's a wealth of positive psychology and inspirational stories and so on which will help you there and it's really good even for spiritual life but at this stratospheric level at this everest level of spirituality you will notice any kind of effort to glorify the personality is a huge barrier it drags you down immediately so this person should be as ordinary to make that person as ordinary so purification of the mind saints always try to be as they are extraordinary they fail to be ordinary because in our eyes they are so extraordinary but they, they themselves from their side they always try to be as humble as ordinary as possible i mentioned this because i was reading a buddhist text instruction to an old man uh, given by padma sambhava the great master who transmitted uh, buddhism from india to tibet this old man who served him i mentioned this on some other occasion old man who served him uh, and after um, time came for the great master to leave the old man said that master give me something which is direct and powerful and i am old i know i shall not live long i am not learned i am not a good meditator my mind is restless and so on i am a very ordinary person and um, so give me something which is powerful which will give me enlightenment here and now so padma sambhava basically gives him that that zogchen teaching which is very close to the advaita teachings that you are that ultimate reality in buddhist terms but there the point of this whole story is i noticed something beautiful he gave a few final uh, instructions after giving the deep instruction about nature of emptiness that you are the that the radiance of awareness and all of that you know i'm basically telling you that you are brahman and all of that final instructions do not concern yourself about your possessions do not concern yourself about the health of the body and the you know, just take care of the body but not about old age disease that don't worry about that do not concern yourself about your offspring <laughs> do not con- and all of that and one instruction was 
um, uh, desire to die an ordinary person. Important. So desire, to, but you have to understand it in context. So this is the purification of the mind. This is that, that vasanakshaya. Purification of mind, deep control of the mind through meditation, and of course, enlightenment. Altogether, you are uh, jivan mukta, liberated while living. Let me quickly look at the comments. Raphael says, I might have missed something. The witness consciousness also witnessing our step by step. Remember, witness consciousness is not witnessing any, anything. Witness consciousness is just a way of uh, just language. It just means consciousness ever shining. So is it shining on our step-by-step -step meditation practice? Of course. But if you don't do the step-by-step -step meditation practice, it's still shining equally. For somebody who has no interest in spirituality, it's still shining equally. That's what makes all kinds of activity possible. It's just like this light which is shining on my face. You are that light of consciousness. Witnessing has the sense of an activity that the mind can do. Suppose somebody tells you, witness your thoughts. Be a witness to your thoughts. Don't get mixed up in your thoughts. There is a Buddhist practice, a beautiful practice of standing on the bridge. So there's a stream flowing past, imagine. And there's a little wooden bridge. You have to imagine a Zen garden. And you're standing on the bridge. And you watch the stream flowing past. So you're not being swept along in the stream. Thoughts, perceptions, desires, attitudes, memories, they're all flowing past. You're standing on the bridge and watching it. Nice. You're not being swept aside. You're not being swept along. That's a practice. The moment you stop doing it, you're being swept along. But whether you are practicing that, standing on the bridge, or you, are, you have jumped into the stream or you're being swept away, in every case, the witness consciousness is constant and shining. That's what gives us the experience of life. It seems that there is a gap between the practices we do and the witness consciousness that we are. Yes, absolutely. Every practice that you do is with the body, with the speech, with the mind. It only can point you towards the witness consciousness, which you have to grasp by yourself. Sudhirji says, I read the Dhyaneshwari, 3000 plus shlokas. Yes, it's a detailed commentary. But it's in Marathi, yes. Those who know Marathi should read it. Though I have heard it's old Marathi. Abhijit says, I read in some book, Vichara. Uh, explained as Viruddha Charana. Movement of attention the opposite direction. Beautiful. I have not heard this one, but it's good. Vichara means inquiry. But here, inquiry, uh, he says, it's, uh, it's another etymological derivation of that term would be movement in the opposite direction. True, we're flowing outwards. The movement in the opposite direction is, is which are our inquiry, but this is self-inquiry, Vedantic inquiry. Good, good. Rodrigo says, shouldn't Vedanta meditation slip into samadhi? Yes, it will. In fact, one of the commentators, when he's in that verse, it says, do not think anything else once you have stabilized there. One of the commentators says, Sridhar Swami again, he says, stop trying to meditate at that point. But that's an advanced instruction. Be careful with this instruction. Don't try to stop meditating now. You'll fall asleep or be restless. You have to make the effort up to that point. But at that point, you must 
stop trying to meditate otherwise that effort will itself create disturbance i'm jumping through shweta singhiti says does the neuron fire first and then we get reminded we had forgotten the object of meditation is it the other way around first recognition happens and then the neuron fires so it happens simultaneously something for neuroscientists to think about all those you must have heard of the benjamin libet experiments um where they found startling evidence that we think we are thinking uh, and so i'm thinking and then therefore the machinery of the brain must work but benjamin libet found that the neurons are firing well ahead of our thoughts i think a particular thought but already the persons who are scanning uh, my brain they know that i'm going to think that thought so that's very scary there's a lot of debate about it it's, it's a pretty old experiment it more detailed analysis has been done on the libet experiments it really tallies with the gita in the one verse which krishna has repeated three or four times in the bhagavad gita prakriti eva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yopashyati tathatmanam akartaram sapashyati nature does everything body brain nervous system is doing everything one who realizes this realizes consciousness does nothing very interesting another another place same verse in different language krishna says that prakriti is doing everything nature is doing everything body is doing everything your brain's nervous system is doing everything ahankara vimuratma kartaham iti manyate deluded by the activity of the ego consciousness feels i am the doer mediated by the ego ego is also part of the activity of the brain and this matches very well with what libet is trying to say it would it would then follow that uh, it's the basically the nature body mind which is doing everything and we think we are doing it shrinivas raju says wherever the mind goes try to see brahman yes aparoksha aparoksha anubhuti is there drigdrishya viveka same thing bill says the bhakta is trying to develop love deep love is not yet there distraction happens all the time what to do bring it back more love and do uh, what can evoke the feeling of love it could be music it could be uh, like a flower offering it could be prayer prayer works uh, it's very powerful and it, at a for to a certain extent or, or for a long time prayer is more powerful than trying to meditate and alpana says sangeeta says similar to the caution in the gyana marga is, is there a danger of sattvic ahankara developing in this path process of dhyana meditation if yes how to recognize and avoid it a good question um, maybe next time i can deal with it or the time after that and arjuna will ask questions about the difficulties on the path of meditation yes there is always the danger of pride in being a meditator one sign of that pride is a kind of selfishness the my peace of mind my meditation hours somebody in the next i i know from the experience in the monastery and in the in the himalayas also i literally experienced this somebody in the next room is sick nobody is bothered it's my time for study it's my time for meditation no what about what serving same brahman you're talking about is there being sick 
So it, it's, it's a kind of selfishness which comes. And that's an obstacle. How do you avoid it? One powerful way of avoiding all these obstacles and overcoming them and managing them is the harmony of the four yogas. That's why Swami Vivekananda said it's a safe and wholesome path. Have all these components in your life. Vedantic inquiry, of course. But have a devotional component. Have a meditation component. And have a service component in, in your spiritual practice, in your spiritual day. Alpana, what happens to subtle body in, in mind, in sleep? That it doesn't respond to external touch stimuli because it gets merged in the causal body. That is the definition of deep sleep. Shweta Singh Giti says, the realization of the highest knowledge itself requires a very quiet and reflective mind. Absolutely. Srinivas Raju says, how does one progress move from temporarily experiencing reflected consciousness to finally realizing pure consciousness? That is the whole effort. That's what we are trying to do. I will just stop here. Uh, because we, are, we have really run out of time. Um, yes. Um, and we will take it up next time. Some more very beautiful verses are coming up. And after that, an important section. When Arjuna asks the question, which usually is there in everybody's mind, and Arjuna will... Uh, he sort of rains on Krishna's parade by saying, all this is really useless. It doesn't work. It's too difficult. How can my meditation be better? He asks that question. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Sri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu